Before we start this show, just a word from our sponsor. 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest that pro wrestling has had to offer. Along with their awesome line of pro wrestling apparel, they do offer many services. In the world of wrestling, there are hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads. Don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. If you would like to discuss possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or whatever, drop them a line. Go to 20 by 20 apparel. That's the number 20 X, the number 20 apparel.com. Now let's get to the show. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bum me, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yell about it though. You see me shining like a suit on puppy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kicks, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh of the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. And on Fresh of the Word, we like to deliver wisdom through great stories from the minds of bright creatives of pop culture. Through those stories, we like to dissect the journey of our guests and present actionable lessons and advice for our listeners, no matter what career or avenue of artistry they pursue. And before we get into this episode, I want to give a shout out to Knox Money, Bang Belushi, and Foulmouth for the theme music for Fresh is the Word. And if you would like to support the podcast, you can always go to freshisthepodcast.com and just share any of the links for any of the episodes on any of your social media platforms. And also, you can subscribe to Fresh is the Word pretty much anywhere that podcasts are streamed. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, pretty much everywhere. And please, rate and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. It will definitely help out the show. If you want to contact me, you can always reach me by email at djkfresh at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at kfresh is the word and on facebook at facebook.com slash kfresh and you can also follow fresh is the word on twitter at fresh is the word and that's is with iz instagram at fresh is the word podcast and facebook at facebook.com slash fresh is the podcast check check one two and this is episode 168 the guest for this episode is los angeles-based jazz pianist connie Hahn. Her latest album, Crime Zone, was released last fall on the Detroit-based Mac Avenue Music Group to rave reviews. Still in her early 20s, 
Han combines ideals from both traditional and modern jazz eras with a bold, provocative edge to it. The Connie Han Trio is playing the Wayne State University Pyramid Stage on Sunday, September 1st, here in Detroit at the Detroit Jazz Festival. For more information about that, visit DetroitJazzFest.org. During our conversation, we talked about her musical upbringing, standing out in today's era of jazz music, mentorship, her creative process, learning from jazz music's past, her latest album, Crime Zone, and Just Being Bold. And before we get into this interview with Connie Han, definitely want to remind you how you can support Fresh of the Word. You can support Fresh of the Word on Patreon at patreon.com slash fresh of the word. And for as little as a dollar per month, you can help out everything I'm trying to do here on Fresh of the Word. And for the $3 a month tier, you get more digital goodies, including the Patreon-exclusive podcast episodes where I dig deep into my audio archives to interviews that I've done outside of Fresh of the Word over the past decade or so. Those could be interviews that I did for other publications, and some I didn't even use at all. I just did interviews. <laughs> so go to patreon.com slash fresh of the word and check out all the tiers that are available. There's tiers that, where you can be a part of the podcast. So once again, go to patreon.com slash fresh of the word if you want to help out the good things that I'm trying to do here for this podcast. All right, let's get on to the interview with Connie Han. I came upon you when I was just like, hey, who's the new jazz artist coming out these days? Everybody wants to talk about people from the past, but who's doing it now? And that's when I came upon you. Um, it was before uh, Crime Zone came out. Uh, your uh, previous release was uh, the only one out. And I was like, oh, this is uh, pretty pretty cool. And I was just reading up some... Uh, some uh, like reviews of your album, and a lot of people had positive things to say about what you were doing. You're um, very young, but very mature in your uh, in your playing, in your uh, in everything. So it was like, a, you know, it's very you know, it's very cool to see that there's people out there, you know, still doing jazz music and in taking it very seriously when a lot of people just talk about the jazz music artists of the past you know how did you first get into wanting to be a musician i have a musical background my uh, parents are classical musicians professional chinese folk musicians they play traditional chinese instruments and I come from that background as well as a classical background. And my mom, she got me started in classical piano when I was really young. So my exposure to my main instruments um, was from when I was very little. So it's pretty much been part of my entire life. But uh, as far as the jazz side of things, that didn't enter my life until later when I was early in my early adolescence. I was about 14 and I discovered it at the Los Angeles County High School for the Arts. It was an arts high school that I uh, got accepted to for voice and uh, classical piano. But when I got in, I was exposed to the jazz department, which at the time was pretty competitive for like a high school, high school jazz department. And um, when I first heard Hank Mobley, Soul Station and Miles Davis kind of blew the Jazz 101. I was like, oh, this is 
something awoke inside of me where I just thought, man, I think spontaneous improvisation is uh, an outlet for creativity that really um, speaks to me as a person. And I knew that since I was like 14 and it's kind of the same up until now, now that I'm 23. So, so yeah. Is there anything about the music that you're exposed to from your family that lends itself to the music that you make now? Of course. I mean, I would say it's more so of a musicianship influence. Like, I wouldn't say stylistically or culturally. There are things that I take with me into my art, but it's more so about the fact that I actually learned music. <laughs> like, I learned about harmony and learned how to read and was exposed to, you know, European traditional European harmonies and classical music that are always relevant, always appearing in jazz because jazz is sort of like a marriage between uh, that harmony, you know, Bach, right, with Charlie Parker, with um, African rhythm and African sensibility. So um, without my classical training, I would not have been able to pursue jazz as aggressively as I did because... Having had, had no, having had no background in American popular music or jazz growing up, I would say that was one of the most challenging aspects in getting over the cliche classical converts into jazz trope, you know, learning the, how to be an authentic jazz improviser. So um, if I didn't have like my chops, just to put it shortly, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to play jazz because... I won't be able to play my instrument and too many, I think young people these days, like they focus so much on like getting the cool licks that they realize they need to learn how to, you know, have a command of their instrument. And that's something that I'll always be grateful for, for, you know, my parents for giving me when I was, when I was young. So, yeah. You're somebody who has, you know, gotten some attention within the jazz world and you're 23 right now. And this is, you know, definitely, like I said before, you know, a lot of people, when they talk about jazz, they talk about, you know, previous eras, you know, what, what do you feel like somebody has to do in this era to stand out? Uh, I mean, honestly, just be yourself. It's really, I know that's a cliche thing to say, but um, despite the fact that, you know, my music may be forward thinking or original, because it's me, um, I take a lot of influence and I take a lot of honor in like, I don't know, like uh, paying homage to the past because jazz to me is a legacy art form that is based entirely on its history. It's a folk art form in that way. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, I think that that's something that should be part of the definition of what it means to identify as a jazz musician and identifying with the history as well as like the musical language that has been developed from 20s up until now. Um, but honestly, I would say that me not going to jazz school, because I dropped out of college after three weeks of my freshman year because I disagree with how jazz education is taught, uh, which is, you know, I think jazz education in the at the collegiate level can often lend itself to 
really like sterile sounding young jazz musicians where it, they just sound like carbon copies of like the Charlie Parker Omni book or Michael Brecker licks or whatever. So I think that actually plays into why so much like jazz could be stagnant, I guess, in originality because so many people are just trying to like learn what is being said <laughs> in those classes. So, I mean, I would say that you have to take a more street smart approach in learning this music in order to be, to stand out to the original, which goes back to just like being yourself and improvising from a place that comes from you rather than like, oh, I have to transcribe all these solos and apply all these bebop licks. <laughs> so, yeah, I learned from a place of like being self-taught as well as taking a lot of advice and learning with like one-on-one -on -one with a mentor, uh, which mine is actually um, Bill Izaski, who I met in, in high school as my high school teacher, but now we're working together as coworkers. And I think that element is really important where you like, there's like a master apprenticeship culture yeah. that I don't think is as prevalent in um, these days. E even though jazz has been formalized in education, you would think there would be more, more of that, but there's actually not. There's actually a lot of distance okay. between the students and the teachers where like, I, I don't think there's as much, one-on-one -on -one investment that can it's to me like that kind of relationship can really help with actually learning this music because when you're learning in like a group setting and you're not being really addressed as an individual with the needs that you have as a musician that can be harmful to your creativity and musicianship overall yeah so. kind of extending on what you were talking about uh i've been very interested in the idea of mentorship uh, recently and what what do you feel like is the definition of mentorship to you and what do you learn from your mentor specifically i mean it's a mentor is someone who who obviously has more experience than you um typically older but not always but usually someone who is like more experienced in the field that you want to go into and be more of a professional in or even be a master of. Um, and it's someone who you trust to tell you what you need to hear, regardless of whether it's going to hurt your feelings. Not to the point where it's like abusive, right? Right. But to the point where it's like healthy and you're able to look at your skill set and the world and your reality in an objective, rational way with problem solving. Um, to me, I think a mentor is someone who supports that approach who helps you solve problems and helps you solve obstacles and generally points you in the right direction because there are so many jive mother effers <laughs> in, in the industry of any industry where it's so easy to get off path and you don't have the right people who are like letting you know what is legitimate and what is not and what is like not what is amateur. So it's to me like a mentor, someone who points you in that direction and, like doesn't give you the skill sets, but it teaches you how to like, he or she teaches you how to obtain that skill set. And um, to me, without a mentor like Bill to sort of 
provide that kind of support very specific to my needs as a musician, I wouldn't have been able to like even become a professional musician. I would still probably be struggling to pay, play restaurants in my local area and just be like a college dropout musician. But luckily I've gone from a college dropout to a signed artist, relatively non-starving. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, mentorship is so important. I mean, it's just so, I, I don't know how else to put it. I, I, I wish I had more specific historic examples, but I know they exist. Like I know that Lenny Tristano, piano player, was a huge mentor to like, you know, Warren Marsh and Lee Konitz, and and just that sort of like deep connection you have to your student and also your mentor. That's something I don't see as much today. And just talking randomly to my peers and just people, like, I mean, maybe they just don't want to talk to me about it. But I, I just feel like there's not as much of a credit being given to like let's say one person or two two people it's like i feel like people are graduating from college and just going flying by the seat of the pants you know right and i wish there was less of that so you mentioned earlier how you know like the way you learn to a certain extent is is a sort of you know street smart sort of you know not you know in college whatnot like, what sort of, you know, degree of trial and error do you go through when making your music or just learning certain parts of how to make music? Right. Uh, to me, I look at the entire, like, legacy of recordings left behind by the greats, such as McCoy Tyner, Joe Henderson, old jazz, right? Pe music made from musicians and greats that actually McCoy Tyner's alive. What am I saying? But <laughs> <laughs> Joe Henderson is dead. Uh, Hank Jones, unfortunately has passed uh, Bobby Hutcherson passed very recently. The point is, is that there, there has been a large trove of treasure left behind by musicians who were part of a huge, like cultural shifts in America during like the civil rights movement in the sixties, even up until the fifties. Like there's just so much great stuff there. And I like to use that stuff, I mean, especially as a student, when I'm not thinking of myself as like, or when I didn't think of myself as like an original artist, I was just, I was like a sponge, I was absorbing all this material. I thought of that material as like my reference, as like my Bible for, for, for what I wanted to, to aspire to, because there's so much to be learned. And I feel like once you learn that sort of rule book that's being laid out in front of you with those recordings, you can move on to break the rules, which I've started to do much more of as a professional. But um, too often, I think, like, in an environment like school, you're, you're learning stuff from, like, a textbook or you're learning stuff from sheet music or learning stuff from what people are saying rather than what you're actually hearing based on the authenticity of the recordings that we base a lot of those jazz school rules on. You know, um, it's like you have to use your own ears and learn from ear, learn by ear, learn by, uh, you know, just plain out asking for asking yourself, what am I doing that is not as that's that's not as good or not as mature or not as thoughtful or sophisticated as 
what Bobby Hutcherson is doing or what is or what McCoy Tyner is doing. I know that's like a really like copycat approach, but I, I think when you're first learning the language of this music, it's kind of like learning English. Yeah. You like like you learn before you become like a creative writer, you have to learn how to read. And to me, I think people need to apply that same thinking of learning the building blocks and learning the language of jazz in the same way by listening right. to those recordings and learning in that way rather than just like blindly following advice that you that you haven't authenticated yourself. Yeah, I think that goes with um, everything. Like it, it can be any sort of uh, art form. You know, if you're going to paint just you know, paint the way someone else does and then break the rules later on. Yeah, because I don't think you can break them if if you don't understand them at first. I mean, I, I, I learn things every single time. I go back to old recordings I've learned since I was 14. So I learn stuff all the time, but you have to understand it to like a certain extent before you can go off and try to like be crazy with it, you know? <laughs> right. So... Um, with that said, I want to answer your original question. Um, no one can teach it for you. That's what I'm saying. Like you have to just go to the practice room, address very specific things, whether it's rhythm based, language based, harmony based. And, um, like practice it until you get it right. And how do you know it's right? Well, I think you should just Listen to the recordings. It's all there. The <laughs> answers are all there. Like, you don't have to take out a huge student loan to get the answers. You can just pull up Spotify, pull up YouTube, <laughs> look up the recording, and be like, "Okay, it's all there for me. I just have to, I just have to learn it." That's how I. That's how I do it. So, yeah. And you, you talked about you know being a part of this uh, art form in jazz that is very historical based you know you have all these decades and decades and decades of examples of you know of what people have done different you know you know parts of how they affected society and culture you know i come from uh, being a part of a hip-hop scene here in detroit and what's you know what i've noticed is that yeah there you know can be the societal ties cultural ties but at times from one generation to the other, there's a disconnect for whatever reason. You know, how important is it for new jazz artists to understand jazz music's past? Super duper. I mean, like, I, I think the, the music and art is a direct reflection of the culture that it comes from, you know? So I think aside from learning the actual music side of it, it's important to also learn the historical context surrounding, um, like, like whatever was plaguing society at the time in terms of its problems. But I think actually even more importantly, it's important to learn the struggles like, the artists from whatever era you're studying also face, because I think that also plays a huge part of the art because many of these greats that we admire, like Bud Powell and Charlie Parker, um, they led very hard lives. You know, they, I, I don't want to say their legacy 
being junkies, but I mean, they, they had to cope with the problems that they had yes. with pretty tragic means. And I think it's important to acknowledge that and to like be aware of the whole picture, you know, not just learn their licks, but like <laughs> learn what kind of problems they went through. I mean, Bud Powell got his head smashed in. I mean, that's not something that, I mean, that, that, that can happen at, at any time or any decade, but I feel like that was too normalized at the time, you know? Right. So, um, I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, no. I think it does. <laughs> no, it does. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to advocate for tragedy or, or struggle, but there is a certain struggle that breeds some of the greatness in this music. And with life getting easier these days, you know, there, there are a lot of naysayers out there who are like, oh, you know, jazz is in a rut, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to make that argument right now because I just want to focus on myself. But sometimes I wonder if, like, the correlation between, like, the, um, the flourishing of an art form, whether that correlates with how easy and how much leisure there is in, in like, life at the time. And right now I think, think we're living in a very nice period of leisure compared to the past, at least. So... Um, I don't know. I mean, I think these are things that artists have to consider just to be a better person <laughs> and to be a more well-rounded person. So. Yeah, you're, um, you have a new album out. It's uh, called Crime Zone. It's on uh, Mac Avenue Records. How much of the music that you make sort of you know, ties into society now into, and also into your own personality? What do you put into it? Crime Zone is really supposed to be a statement in I think I already said this in my press release but just being provocative like I kind of want to just shock people just to get a just to get a sort of rise out of people because I don't think people expect to see someone who looks like me play the way that I do which is why it's called like crime zone it's supposed to be just I don't know it's supposed to be more of like a sensory overload than anything with, with that title and also just the imagery associated with the album, which is a very, you know, edgy, like sexy cyberpunk look that is not really found in the aesthetic of jazz historically. So I realized at the time when I was making all that imagery and designing the title that it would make some people turned off. But I think that just makes it more interesting when you when you listen to the music and you can't deny the quality. I'm going to be a bit narcissistic here. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think too often, like, I don't like to be political just because I want to make it about the music. But I feel like too often, like, female jazz artists will be like, oh, I have to be super conservative in how I dress so that I'm taken seriously as a jazz artists or I have to make myself as vanilla or boring as possible to get my music to be taken seriously and to me there, there's no fun in that and I feel like that's throwing away a large part of what makes being a female jazz artist unique like you can play your shit but you can also be feminine and be sexy and be who you are and like not be afraid to do that because you're afraid of being judged because there's nothing interesting about that. And I like to be interesting. Um, 
far as how that ties into culture, I mean, I come from a pretty privileged place, so I don't know. I I, I faced a lot of struggles in just terms of the, the, the typical artist struggles, but, like, I wouldn't say that I was anywhere close to the struggles of, like, like I said earlier, Bud Powell and Charlie Parker. I'm not an addict. I don't do drugs. Um, but, I mean, it's... I, I think it's already kind of a struggle in, in being okay with who you are <laughs> right. and coming to terms with that. And uh, to me, it's just... This uh, album is really a statement about being yourself and not really being afraid of, like, shattering the status quo of, like, what I'm supposed to represent. Like, like again, I, I don't like to be political because I want to make it about the music, but if I want to be super meta here and actually comment on what I intend with my album cover and stuff, yeah, I mean, th- there is, like, a stereotype associated with, you know, Asian female jazz pianists that were, like, have to be docile and, you know... Uh, boring and I kind of want to just piss people off by not doing that (laughs) (laughs) so like yeah I hope that answers your question oh no it definitely does and just kind of extend on that yeah you you uh you come with this sort of sexy uh cyberpunk look and that's definitely different than a lot of you know other you know jazz artists or artists just in general um, what sort of, uh, just, just from, in these days, there's a lot of hot button issues in regards to, you know, women, you got the Me Too movement, you got a lot of legislation that's definitely against women in this, uh, you know, in this government, in this, uh, going on these days, you know, how important is it for you to just be really bold and be yourself as a person? And what do you hope that other you know, women out there who are artists sort of see, you know, when they look at you as an artist? Yeah. I would say to those women, like, don't think of yourself as a victim because in my honest opinion, we are living in the best time possible right now to be a female jazz artist because... The, the establishment is dying to show that they support female jazz artists in light of the Me Too movement, in light of all these things that are going on, you know. And I think it's important to be proud of being a chick. I mean, not not to like, not, not proud in like a we're better than men way, because I don't think that's the case at all, because most of my heroes are actually men. I mean, my, my mentor is a man. Yeah. But like, I think being a chick right now is really should be should be a really fun experience because you will be chosen for opportunities just because you're a chick regardless of whether you're really good or not um and i think it's important to embrace your femininity and not to be ashamed of it and if you and if you feel like you're in a situation where like you're being made uncomfortable because you're a female i mean honestly that's something that i that's never really bothered me just because i i think that's an internal thing like, just be confident, be you, fuck the haters. I, I really don't know what else to say about that. I mean, I, 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 I don't, I've never really faced, like, super bad sexism in my life. I, I've been treated really good around, by the men in my life. So, 
And in fact, I've, I've felt privileged in, 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 in being a woman. So, um, but I do also think it's important to break stereotypes. Like the, the docile Asian woman, like that's not me. And I don't like it when people think that's going to be me. So honestly, as long as you're yourself and you don't like let, I don't know, the perceived stereotypes of, of women get you down, you'll be just fine. I mean, we're very lucky compared to what we've had to face in the past in terms of civil rights. Like we are in a, the world is women's, women's oyster right now, to be honest. I've got to say. So. Yeah, and I'd like to uh, um, ask this question. Um, what's something that, like a nugget of knowledge from your life that anybody listening to this, whether they know they're a jazz artist or not, um, could sort of project into their own life in regards to a lesson um, or story in regards to your life they, that, that they could just project into their own life? And learn honestly I think it's not just me but a lot of people out there will feel like an underdog at one point in their lives or another and you'll feel like oh you can't do it or you can't do the thing that you want to do because you feel like the underdog as long as you work hard and you face things with a problem-solving approach and like just do the work and be quiet about that work and just don't complain when things don't go your way immediately, you will see the fruits of your success as long as you have like a really good work ethic. I know that sounds really, that's something that people say a lot, but that's something that has kept me going because there have been many times in my life where I felt like, man, am I really cut out for this thing? But I've found that just not just relying on talent and using that talent with my hard work that has gotten me to the place where, where I am now. So don't let shit get you down, I guess. Be just work hard and don't complain and face things with a, with a problem solving approach and you'll be fine. Great. And I always like to uh, end my interviews with the same question. And that question is, who is somebody that's been a part of your life or career that I could realistically interview for this podcast that would have some great lessons or stories to tell? Uh, I think I mentioned him already. Bill Wazowski. Yeah. He uh, produced Crime Zone, so he's relevant in that way, obviously. He's been my mentor, sort of been the force in my life who has shaped much of my music, but also my art and, and also my artist branding and uh, is really quite a force to have in, in a team when you're building or when you're developing yourself as an artist or even a person. So I think that's definitely, he would definitely have some interesting conversations for you for sure. Cause he's also a very eccentric human being. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. And you know, I, I could, I could, I, I could always say, Joe Henderson and Bobby Hutcherson and Bud Powell, but those guys are dead. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd Bill, be that'd be awkward. Yes, Bill Wazowski is very much alive and playing in my band wherever I play, so you can definitely call him up. All right, sure. 
All right, great. Um, if anybody wants to get more information about you or what whatever you're uh, working on or where you're ever going to be uh, playing, where can they go online? Check out ConnieHahn.com, or I'm on all social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, my handle is at ConnieHahnJazz. All right, great. It's been good talking with you. Um, I know you're going to be in Detroit for the Jazz Festival, so I'll try to uh, come down there. Yeah, yeah, I hope to meet you in person, and it should be a good time. All right, great. Thanks for uh, taking the time out to do this interview with me. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks for having me. All right, later. So that was my interview with jazz pianist Connie Hahn. Her latest album, Crime Zone, is out now via Mac Avenue Music Group. It was great to have her on. You should definitely check out the uh, album. Links to where you can follow Connie Hahn online and also purchase or stream Crime Zone will be in the show notes for this episode at freshesthepodcast.com. All right, another great episode in the books. Thanks for listening. Goodbye and good night. Fresh is the word.